0: The following teleconference is recorded for Reed Blakemore with the Atlantic Council of the U.S. on Monday, May 15, 2017, beginning at 10.15 a.m. Eastern Time, 9.15 a.m. Central Time. Excuse me, everyone. We will now begin the call. Please be aware that each of your lines is now in a listen-only mode. At the conclusion of our panelists' opening remarks, we will open the floor for questions. At that time, instructions will be provided on how to ask a question. I would now like to turn the call over to Mr. Bilal Saab, who will introduce the call and begin our discussion. Mr. Saab, you may begin.
1: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Atlantic Council. Uh, My name is Bilal Saab. I'm a senior fellow and director of the Middle East Peace and Security Initiative here at the Atlantic Council. Let me start off by thanking everybody for joining us uh, for this conversation with uh, Dr. Mike Vickers, former Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence. Uh, Dr. Pickett's federal service has spent nearly four decades and a longtime time CIA officer. Dr. Dob Zakine, senior fellow at CNA Corporation and also a senior advisor at CSIS, also along a long and distinguished career at the Department of Defense, and Ambassador Susan Viade, former Deputy Secretary of State for Arabian Peninsula Affairs, also a distinguished career at the State Department. Let me also extend a warm welcome to all of our members and press on the line. A couple of words about the visit this morning of uh, Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Al Nahyan's uh, meeting with uh, President Trump at the White House. Um, Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed, also known as MBZ, is Crown Prince of Abu Dhabi and Deputy Supreme Commander of the UAE Armed Forces. And uh, his influence over political security and defense affairs in the UAE really cannot be uh, overstated. He arrived to Washington to meet with uh, President Trump, as well as with leadership at the State Department and the Department of Defense at a time when the President, I'd say, is still developing his overall strategy for the Middle East. The UAE is likely to see a successful meeting with the President and key officials. Also expected that the meeting will cover counter-ISIS operations, the ongoing conflict in Yemen, and ways to push back against Iran's regional influence. Issues of regional security are central, to the work that we're doing here at the Middle East Peace and Security Initiative, where we're spearheading major projects in Gulf security and U.S. strategy in the region after the Iran nuclear deal. In my capacity as chairman of the Gulf Policy Working Group, which is a platform for a debate on U.S.-Arab Gulf affairs, I've overseen conversations addressing these and other pressing Gulf security issues. The Skolcraft Center has also highlighted the most pressing issues currently facing the U.S.-GCC relationships with its work around the Camp David and Riyadh Summits. Covering topics ranging from the regional conflicts to urgent energy and economic issues and major trends in the region, last year's Beyond Riyadh campaign began as a discussion on U.S. Gulf priorities at the 2016 summit, including the issue of Gulf missile defense integration, and that conversation will continue with the new administration. I've uh, said too much without taking up any more of our already limited time. Uh, I will turn over the program to our panelists for some opening remarks, after which I'll open up the room for discussion. Let me remind everybody that uh, today's session is on the record. And with that, uh, Dr. Mike Vickers, uh, 45 minutes, if you don't mind, as introductory remarks, and then we'll turn it over to the other speakers. Thank you.
2: Uh, sure, thank you. Let me make um, three uh, quick points. The first is uh, the Emiratis are a long-standing and very close uh, security partner of ours, both in defense and intelligence. Um, Really since the first war with Iraq, they've participated in almost every conflict we've had, and particularly uh, in Afghanistan. They fought side-by-side with us uh, for a decade as well as uh, uh, doing a lot of humanitarian things. They're also a very close partner uh, in the intelligence realm. And they've expanded their security services from a focus on uh, uh, domestic or internal affairs to becoming a pretty significant player externally and have really helped us disrupt plots against al-Qaeda and ISIL and other global jihadists. Um, second point I'd like to make is they really punch above their weight. They've got a very activist foreign policy, and motivated by threats of Iran, um, al-Qaeda and ISIL, and then uh, uh what they view as uh, uh, too much or um, harmful effects of uh, uh, Islamist uh, policies. Uh, they're very active in the campaign against Yemen and then Libya, uh, Syria, they've been um, uh, very supportive, and Somalia as well, including more recently uh, a base agreement in Somaliland. The final point I'd like to make is uh, besides the comments in the opening remarks on the agenda today in terms of uh, closer cooperation with Iran and uh, against the global jihadists and particularly in Yemen, um, the key item for them on their agenda is really um, ensuring U.S. engagement in all these uh, areas. Uh, A lot of the Gulf states have felt that the U.S. has uh, disengaged a bit from the region and that's one of the things they want to shore up. I think the final point to make is that uh, 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 the crown prince is uh, very close to the Saudis and particularly the new Saudi leadership. And as the president prepares for his um, visit um, to Riyadh, I'm sure um, the crown prince will have a lot of uh, uh, insights to offer there. Um, I'll conclude with that.
3: Thanks very much, uh, Mike. Uh, And now I'd like to hear from... um from Ambassador uh, Ziadeh. Your initial remarks, uh, Susan.
4: Good morning. Well, I must say that uh, Dr. Vickers, my good friend Mike, has covered the waterfront uh, pretty uh, pretty well. What I would say is uh, one thing that he uh, did mention in passing, but I think I'd put a little bit more focus on is um, the Emirati concern about uh, counterterrorism and rise of Islamist uh, elements in the region, not just ISIL but definitely Al Qaeda, and you see uh, that very clearly in their efforts in the Yemen campaign not only as uh, working with the Yemeni uh, government there and forces on the ground to Push back malign Iranian influence, as Dr. Vickers mentioned, but also uh, to be able to uh, make the uh, the space that had widened as a result of the Yemen conflict and had allowed Al Qaeda to uh, be more of an actor to try to push back on that and try and contain Al Qaeda elements uh, in Yemen. I would also point to the Emirati role. Regionally, uh, as mentioned, uh, Egypt and um, and uh, Libya, as well as Yemen. But I, I would focus on the fact that there are um, certain leaders, for example, al Sisi of Egypt, who was not uh, as welcomed uh, in in Washington under the Obama administration. Where I feel now, there's already been uh, you know better relations between Egypt and the Trump administration and this is something that uh, Mohammed bin Zayed and the Emiratis in general uh, see as a good thing. So they have regional aspirations, they play a regional role, and certainly they are a key leader in the GCC as um, that uh, body looks to uh, play their role regionally in conflicts nearby.
3: Thanks very much, Ambassador Ziada. Now we'd like to hear from uh, Dr. Dov Zakheim, who also was the Comptroller in the Defense Department and is an Atlantic Council Board Director.
5: Well, thank you very much. Uh, Again, uh, I'm just going to build on some of the excellent comments that have already been made. Uh, First of all, Sheikh uh, Sheikh, uh, uh, Mohammed bin Zayed himself is a very soft-spoken individual uh, who is very convincing and very personable. And I think uh, that's going to play very well uh, when he meets with the president. A couple of things. First, uh, like his father, uh, Sheikh Zayed, uh, he is seen, Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed, is seen as someone whose influence uh, is far greater than the nominal power of the Emirates as a country. Uh, He's very close to King Abdullah of Jordan. He's very close to King Muhammad of Morocco. Uh, We've already heard that he's close to uh, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. And so he's somebody who's got a tremendous influence. And and again, it's because of the kind of person that he is. Uh, In addition to that, I think, apart from what has already been uh, discussed uh, in terms of what he's going to be raising with the president... I think one other thing that I think will be important to him is to ensure that the White House follows up on the President's phrase uh, using the term self-determination for the Palestinian people. That is a code word, of course, in the Middle East, but to the extent that uh, the Gulf countries are working under the table with Israel, the more flexibility they have uh, vis-à-vis the Palestinian issue... That is to say, the more they can show that there's some progress, the easier it's going to be for them to work with the Israelis, particularly uh, with respect to Iran. Iran is number one on the Emiratis' priorities. It still uh, sees some of the Emiratis' islands. It hasn't given them up, Abu Musa and the tombs. Uh, So this is something that rankles uh, in Abu Dhabi. And so uh, to the extent that they can work more closely with the Israelis, without pressure from the public that they're not doing enough on Palestine, uh, that would be a, a, a plus for them. And so this, the use of this phrase, self-determination, which both the President and H.R. McMaster used this weekend, uh, is terribly important. I'll stop there. Well, wow, thanks
3: very much, Dobbs. Uh, I uh, you raised some really important issues. I mean, I, I think... One of the ones I'd love to hear from all of you on is uh, this is sort of being framed this visit by the Crown Prince of the UAE as a curtain raiser for the President's first overseas trip. I think almost every president before President Trump has gone to Canada or Mexico. Um, I, I think this is relatively unprecedented that his first stop will be uh, the Middle East and the Vatican, Saudi Arabia, Israel. Uh, and I, this is really, a, a, I think, a, a visit today focused on, or this week by MBZ, focused on how the president uh, might handle his um, visit with the, the Saudi leadership. So what do you think are the key issues there? And um, what are the outcomes that both sides will be seeking from uh, that meeting in Riyadh?
5: Well, I'll I'll jump in. It's uh, Dov Zakheim here. Clearly, the the, the issues have been mentioned. Iran uh, and engagement uh, regarding Iran. Uh, You've got presidential elections coming up. You've got two conservative candidates. Uh, The current president, Rouhani, may not win. Uh, It's not likely that he will. They've never had a reformer uh, succeeding himself. uh, Reformers have always been succeeded by uh, arch-conservatives. That's going to cause uh, a lot of concern in Riyadh and in the rest of the Gulf, so that's going to be a major issue. How the war in Yemen is going is is definitely going to be a major issue. Uh, And uh, for the Saudis, as well as the Emiratis and the rest of the Gulf, what happens with the Palestinian issue? That is still terribly important, particularly when uh, the president is going to be meeting with the custodian of the two holy mosques. And this is a major issue for them, and, and it can't be ignored.
4: I might add one uh, additional thing that is not maybe as high on the list, but I think that uh, President Trump will also be looking at um, economic partnerships going down the line. The fact that uh, he is willing to move forward on uh, on uh, ballistic missile defense and arms uh, deals that had been held up by the previous administration, the fact that he will be looking to see how we can partner with the Saudis and others, but particularly the Saudis, on their Vision 2030 and their economic reform and what opportunities there might be there for U.S. businesses the fact that um, even in terms of the uh, Emirati visit today, the fact that the Emirates uh, is the number one uh, destination for U.S. exports uh, for the United States with the Saudis following closely as number two means jobs for Americans. So while while there are obviously the foreign policy uh, imperatives of uh, counterterrorism, anti-ISIL, Iran, uh, Yemen, etc., there is also a tie back to a domestic agenda that talks about how we can strengthen um, jobs in America and U.S. industry.
3: Thanks very much, Susan. Um, let's, let's go back, let's dig a little deeper into Iran, and this is an area where the, the Brent Scowcroft Center is um, going to undertake a very major and sustained effort uh, and more coming on that, on that in, in the coming weeks but clearly the, the Gulf um, felt that the United States did not do enough in the Obama administration to counter Iran's aggressive actions throughout the region. I think the Gulf leaders now are relatively optimistic about the Trump administration's attitude toward Iran, but I wonder what uh, the three of you might think that the administration is going to be bringing with it. I mean, what's What's it going to say specifically about how the United States will help work with the Gulf to address Iran's growing regional challenges? Are there tangible steps that you're hearing about? And then I think really importantly for President Trump himself, he's going to make demands of them. Uh, Maybe it's only these large arms deals, but I would expect it would be something more, and that something more could include much more significant integration among the Gulf on air, in areas like missile defense, air defense, a common operating picture, maritime security, maybe cyber. But what do you think the United States, what do you think President Trump's going to expect from his Gulf partners? And what will Trump bring beyond just rhetoric and a, and a new, a newfound sort of uh, attitude, uh, to help allay the Gulf's concerns about Iran's continuing
2: aggressive activities? Um, this is Mike Vickers I think uh, you know it has been mentioned um, the area that's most likely to find common agreement right away is really in the areas of uh, uh, deterrence against Iran and weapon sales and and things of that nature both with the Saudis and Emiratis second on my list then would be perhaps um, more U.S. engagement Um, in Yemen uh, we've done a bit more uh, in this administration. You know, previously it had been mostly um, intelligence sharing and logistics, and now there's some uh, advise and assist and in accompanying in as well. Um, um, the sticky wicket, I think, will really be Syria, where policy is still um, largely unformed. And uh, with the focus on ISIL and al-Qaeda, and not so much uh, the Iranian-backed uh, Assad regime, and so that's that's the area where. But again, um, some of our partners uh, disagree on that policy as well.
4: I agree. I agree with all of that. The one uh, other thing that maybe is a little more philosophical, not as concrete, but I think we we do well to remember that. Uh, Under the Obama administration, there had always been the signal to the Sunni Gulf states that we stand by you and we will shore you up and we will work with you for interoperability and a collective defense posture. But at the end of the day, the the phrase that used to stick in the craw of of the Sunni Gulf states is the fact that you have to share the region with your Iranian neighbors and uh that's something that they never wanted to hear and they it brought into question where the previous administration really stood vis-a-vis the, the uh, Sunni Gulf states um rightly or wrongly but that's how they perceived it so the fact that there is much more focus on the malign activities of Iran even though uh, heretofore the Trump administration has uh, stood by the, uh, the nuclear deal and we are hearing that waivers may indeed go forward, the fact is that um, they are feeling, I think the Gulf states are feeling more reassured that they're not hearing a lot about sharing the neighborhood as they did with the previous administration.
5: Yeah, and I might add to that that uh, the Gulf states, are, uh, my impression is that they, it's not so much that they want the Iran deal reversed, it's that they want it to be enforced and that they're deeply concerned about the uh, missile development. And so to the extent that the president emphasizes, as he already has in the past, that he is going to be very tough in enforcing the deal, and says something about the uh, missiles, which uh, it, it looks like some people at least believe uh, is a violation of other uh, undertakings by the Iranians, uh, I think that will go uh, as well uh, quite far in, in reassuring uh, the, the Sunni Arab states down there. That's a great point, Doug, but let me, let me push a little harder. I mean, this
3: president uh, is very different from almost any president that we've seen in our lifetimes in terms of um, demanding different arrangements for burden sharing and for allies to take on a greater role where the U.S. doesn't defend them, but the U.S. deters and contributes to their own self-defense. What do you think he might ask of of the, 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 the Gulf countries? I mean, they've been very, very slow on integrating their capabilities to their own detriment for political reasons, for bureaucratic reasons. And a question I have is, you know, how hard will the president push, uh, especially with General Mattis, you know, a, a, a roll-up-your-sleeves veteran of these very, this very incremental progress that the Gulf has been making in important areas, including missile defense, which, which Dr. Zakhan just raised. But do you think he'll be uh, – do you think President Trump will push on this, or will he sort of go lightly as long as the, the big arms deals that we're reading about go forward?
5: Well, he's not a shy person, and so my guess is he will say something, and I suspect that uh, his hosts in the Gulf uh, expect him to say something. So uh, that's not going to be a surprise. I think he's also going to push for more active support in Syria. Mike Vickers raised Syria, um, Clearly, there are several of our allies who are operating at total cross purposes with each other and with us uh witness our support for the Syrian Kurds and the uh and the, the Turks' anger over that and Mr. Erdogan is coming to the White House uh, and so I think the President will look to uh the our Gulf allies to the Saudis, the Emiratis uh for support in what he's doing in Syria now. Again, the, the, the dilemma is that, uh, on the one hand, uh, he does not seem as, uh, press, uh, as committed uh, to pressing for Mr. Assad's removal, whereas the uh, Gulf states have been pushing that for a long time. On the other hand, he wants their support. So uh, that's going to be an issue that will be raised. How he actually raises it will be very interesting to watch
2: is, is Mike, uh here um I also think that um you know the as i mentioned the emiratis really punch way above their weight but the flip side of that is um you know they're fairly extended in the number of regions given the size of their of their armed forces uh, and intelligence capabilities and so asking them to do more um just may not be Possible beyond cooperation within the gcc and and uh, you know as you outlined Barry, um, so I think um, General Mattis and some of uh, H r. McMaster and some of uh, the president's other advisors will be explaining um, that to him in preparation um, you know for his meetings.
4: I think one other thing that uh, the President might hear from the Saudis on his trip. Uh, which perhaps will while he's focused on Yemen I think he will start to understand for the Saudis that is sort of the number one strategic threat that they feel this is their southern border they're worried about uh, instability there they're worried about the attacks that are coming across the border so while the president has focused on Yemen uh, more uh, than in in the previous administration, at least in the last uh, area, a few days, the fact is that I think he will hear a much stronger message on their concern about Yemen than perhaps he had uh, heretofore anticipated.
3: I think that's right, uh, Ambassador Ziada, Uh, and that's worth talking about a little bit more. But Let me ask the um, operator to open the line for questions from other participants
0: right now, please. At this time, we will be opening up for questions. Please press the star key followed by the one key under your Tone phone now. Questions will be taken in the order in which they are received. Please be sure to introduce yourself when asking a question. If at any time you'd like to remove yourself from the questioning queue, please press star 2. Again, to ask a question, please dial star 1 now. First question will come from Zayed Benjamin with Radio Sala. Please go ahead with your question.
5: Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, my question is, um, what should the Islamists expect from the meeting between Mr. Uh, between Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed and President Trump, and especially
3: the, the Muslim Brotherhood? And also, what do you expect um, on the relations between the UAE and Qatar on this issue during the, the, the GCC summit with President Trump next week?
5: Yeah. Well, we all know that uh, Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed has been outspoken for years. Uh, literally years and years about the uh, threat that he perceives uh, and that the Marathi government perceives from uh, Islamic extremists. And uh, he is no friend of the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, you heard earlier about how his relations with Egypt have improved. President Sisi has pretty much pushed for everybody to consider the Brotherhood to be a terrorist group uh, and so um, I think his position on that one is very, very clear. Uh, you've raised a very important point, which is the relationship with Qatar, which has a very different approach to the Brotherhood and to Islamists generally. Uh, there's been friction before. Um, they will There will still be friction, uh, but my guess is that like many other Gulf summits, they will do their best to uh, mute those frictions because that's just not how they tend to operate.
4: I'd like to jump in and just add one point to that, uh, and I agree with everything that was said. Um, There will always be friction on the issue of of the Islamists because the UAE and Qatar do look at this differently. But that said, there is a greater overriding um, uh, calculus here that the Emiratis and the Qataris do agree on, one, the threat from Iran, and two, the importance of having a very strong strategic relationship with the United States that's grounded in a real commitment from the U.S. Um, And so I think, at least in the short term, uh, those differences will be acknowledged, but will be set aside in the interest of Greater overriding interests that are of uh, greater importance to the UAE and Qatar.
0: Uh, let's go to the next question now, please. Thank you. The next question will come from Trudy Rubin with the Philadelphia Inquirer. Please go ahead with your question.
6: Uh, thanks so much. Can you hear me?
0: Yes,
5: Trudy, go ahead.
6: Okay, great. Thanks for doing this. Um, there has been some loose talk about an Arab force being put together, including Saudis, uh, to come in um, to Syria uh, uh, as an alternative to the Americans backing uh, the Syrian uh, Democratic Forces, i.e. the Syrian Kurds, can anyone amongst you imagine that as a realistic possibility, especially given the Saudi performance not only in Yemen uh, but, if we go back to the Gulf War, and in fact i 'm curious how you all feel about whether the United States is going to sink deeper into a hole in Yemen in a war that uh, cannot be quote one close quote the way it 's being waged
5: well trudy let me let me jump in um, first of all, I recall. Uh, when I was undersecretary and responsible for trying to get troops into Iraq, uh, going to several of of the Gulf states and seeing if they would help out. And what obviously I didn't succeed, number one. Number two, to the extent that there was any willingness at all, there was a desire that the United Nations... Uh, call upon them to do something. Now, obviously, with the Russian veto and in the United Nations Security Council, the UN isn't going to call upon anybody to do anything. And so I don't think you're going to see very much. uh, Yes, there's been talk. I don't know if it's been loose. I think there's been some seriousness behind it. But in practice, I I just don't see it happening. As for Yemen... uh, You've already heard, I mean, this is part of the Saudi nightmare. And uh, I think the Saudis will press us to do more. Um, we may well do more. I don't think we'll be talking about, you know, ground troops in, in Yemen or anything like that. But I think that uh, if we want to show the Saudis that we're very serious about their security concerns, we're going to have to do something more
2: than we're already doing. Uh, so I would just uh, agree with those points, and I would just add that um, you know any outside force uh, that goes into Syria would face a lot of challenges. Uh, you know, it's one thing to take uh, Raqqa, and and uh, uh, but what what will happen is uh, ISIL and other extremists will be just distributed, and so you'll be attacked uh, by both Sunni extremists and then Shia militias uh, potentially as well. Are likely as well, and so uh, uh, I think that one will pose a pretty powerful deterrent, but also if a force went in there, then uh, how long they stayed would would, would be a question um, and Then I agree with the uh, uh, points made on Yemen you know there 's a twofold problem. Um, the houthi government um, but also has been mentioned um, al qaeda in the arabian peninsula and uh, uh uh to a lesser extent isil as well uh there's also just a massive humanitarian uh, crisis uh, there as well so very very difficult uh, state to try to govern so i think what Doug said about uh, more assistance but not large scale ground troops is uh, is likely
4: if I may just jump in on the Yemen piece for a moment, um I agree with everything that has been said, and I think the the additional assistance is really geared towards um, trying to get the military peace to to a place where negotiations can take place. Everybody understands this has got to be a negotiated settlement. everybody understands that there are uh, certain things that will have to be given um, and and satisfied in the process to be able to get this country back on its feet. Um, We are starting to see uh, glimmers of maybe splits in certain alliances. We're not sure where that will go. But the fact of the matter is that this will never be won militarily, and people on the ground do understand that. And uh, part of uh, our supporting this effort is to give the confidence to the parties to understand they have to come to the table and and work this through. There is certainly a roadmap in place between the UN plan, the GCC initiative, the national dialogue outcomes. Everybody understands what the final uh, solution or what the final look is is going to be. But the issue is getting the parties to the place uh, and having the confidence to be able to take those steps.
3: Thanks very much. Um, Let me let me raise one issue that we haven't uh, addressed yet, and that is Libya. Uh, The UAE recently hosted a meeting uh, between Libya's recognized prime minister and the head of the self-declared national army. There, Um, news reports were sort of um, uh, overhyping the breakthrough moment, um, but there's a lot because I think there's still my understanding is there's a lot of obstacles to an agreement. I mean. I know this might not be the top two or three issues, but I think it's uh, a potentially very important issue that could could come back to bite us if we don't pay attention there. And I know there's some Russian activity there um, that might not be the way the U.S. wants to to take uh, the country or to influence the country. So what what do you see as maybe um, how this issue will be broached? Um, Can the UAE make a contribution to stability there? You know,
5: what is our stake there, and how do you see this? uh... being discussed well um, i think we have to bear in mind that we've been burnt in libya and so there historically when we get burnt somewhere we tend to wash our hands of the place uh, think lebanon in the eighties uh... and so we're not going to be the ones taking the lead um, it's also complicated by the fact that libya really is an artificial state it's three countries um and we see Tripolitania and Fazan acting as if they're separate countries. That's part of the problem. On the other hand, uh the Emirates and others are are trying to do something there. Uh we're not excited about the Russian involvement to the extent that there is some and we know there is some. Uh and so uh it may well be that the president, when he goes to the Gulf, uh says something to the effect that he will support their efforts. But I think, uh, to borrow a very uh, unfortunate phrase, uh, we would not lead. We'll lead from behind on Libya. I think. Uh,
2: so I do think that I, I do think it, you know, is a bit of good diplomacy to bring uh, Khalifa Haftar, uh, you know, headquarters in Tobruk, the general you referred to, that the Emiratis and Egyptians uh, have, have been supporting, uh, with the government of national accord and. Uh, or um whether much comes of this other than another step in diplomacy, i think you know um uh some degree of uh, uh you know cautious uh, optimism is probably warranted um and then as you know as Dove mentioned um uh you know, ISIL has, has uh, had activity in the in the middle around Sirte, and we've had some military campaigns there. Um, it is very difficult to um, to govern all of uh, all of Libya, uh, you know, for the reasons that D- talked about.
3: Uh, why don't we ask the operator to
0: um, remind people of instructions for um, asking questions, and then we'll go to the next question. Thank you, sir. As a reminder, if you would like to ask a question, please dial star 1 now. Again, to ask a question, star 1 now. The next question will come from Reed Vandewater with Saffron USA. Please go ahead.
4: Good morning. I'd like to return a bit to the economic arguments. Do you think with this administration there will be a stronger quid pro quo between the U.S. and its Middle East partners for investment to and from the U.S. than just traditionally the oil? Um, Well, there are already uh, a tremendous uh, trade between the the region, Um, the oil being really increasingly less of an issue. Um, The Saudis and the Emiratis, as well as other Gulf partners, have increased their investments in the United States. Uh, They have always had strong ties with the U.S., and they see the U.S. as a very safe market, uh, an innovative market, and and an area for strong investment. Uh, Even in the oil industry, the Saudis have just uh, bought the remaining half of the largest uh, refinery in oil in Port Port Arthur, Texas. Uh, So they are vested uh, in issues across the board, whether it's uh, with Goldman Sachs or with... um, or with real estate in New York or or other kinds of industries. So that is something that's been ongoing and and is increasing. And in terms of trade, um, the UAE is the number one destination for exports, in particular for things like uh, U.S. aircraft. Um, There are at least four airlines uh, in the UAE that buy U.S. aircraft, and not to mention the other Gulf partners. Um, and that's only one commodity. I mean, that's only one uh, product. There are so many in terms of goods and services. So the economic relations between the, the region and the U.S. is uh, strong. It's growing larger and larger, and it's based on um, standards uh, that the, they have adopted in terms of using U.S. products and standards and uh, services.
0: Thank you. Let's go to the next question, please. Thank you. As a reminder, to ask a question, it's star one. The next question will come from Dominic Dudley with freelance journalist, Gulf State News.
2: Hi. Thanks very much for this. Um, but uh, still on the economic side of things, uh, do you expect the Gulf leaders to be pushing Trump to relax some of the air travel restrictions that he's brought in? And how do you think Trump might react to any pressure they try to put him on? Put put on him in that regard. Well, well so if I had, if I, well, go ahead. Go ahead, ahead Dove. No, no, please. Uh so if I had to hazard a guess, I would uh I I would say he would likely defer. I mean, if anything, you know, under discussion right now is is extending uh the restrictions further to uh, flights coming out of Europe. You know, the threat is 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 very serious. The uh, question is how long you can sustain this, but uh, uh I I wouldn't expect uh, much relaxation on that at that point.
5: Yeah, I, I'm inclined to agree. And you've got to remember, too, that uh, because this was noted by many people here, that when Mr. Trump issued both his first and his second executive orders on immigration, he did not include the Saudis or the Emiratis or the Gulf states generally. Um, and so, in a sense, he's already signaled to them that he sees them in a different place from, say, the six countries that are in the second executive order. Uh, I suspect that if they raise the issue at all, they'll do it sotto voce. They will not make a big deal out of it. They're not going to want to put him in an awkward position because, as Mike just said, we're already cracking down on on European flights. So it's not just them. Uh, So I don't uh, expect this to become a major issue that will result in the kind of friction that it could result in. I just don't see it happening.
3: Go to the next question,
0: please. Thank you. The next question will come from Tom Roderbaugh with Northrop Grumman. Please go ahead.
3: Yes, thank you. Uh, As you've all mentioned, uh, this president has been very vocal about countries um, uh, paying their own way when it comes to defense. You've also pointed out that the UAE has been punching above their weight and certainly – you know, qualifies as paying their own way for uh, uh, activities in the, the Gulf region. Against that backdrop, Sheikh Mohammed has been very vocal about uh, export restrictions and the difficulty of purchasing uh, defense articles and services from the U.S. government. So uh, do you imagine that that will be one of the primary or certainly uh, uh, one of the talking points included during this meeting? the ability for the Emiratis to purchase defense goods and services uh, more easily from uh, the U.S. government.
5: Oh, for sure. I mean, this is an issue that's been around uh, at least since I was in the administration, uh, which is now quite a few years ago. Um, uh, And so, yes, they'll raise it because anybody who visits the Gulf hears it every time you visit. The difficulty is it isn't just the Gulf that faces this problem. We have a a, a formal agreement with the British and the Australians to put them at the top of the list when it comes to some of the technology exports that they want, and they're still not getting them. And we're not buying their stuff to the extent that they want. So, uh, you know, it's 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 a problem. It'll be raised. Uh, I'm not sure I'm gonna, you, you'll, you're gonna see much progress because the executive branch in general, or at least parts of it, uh, the Defense Department in particular, has always wanted to open this up. Uh, but uh, then you run into problems uh, sometimes
2: within the department and often outside the department so you see also too I think international competition uh, will play a role and they certainly won't be shy of raising it you know they're in the market for additional fighter aircraft Uh, they've talked to the Russians recently about that Um, they're looking for more uh, uh, armed uh, reconnaissance unmanned aerial vehicles they've they've gone to China uh, for that as well and so um, I definitely think that'll be an element of discussion
4: the other thing I would add is they're also interested in developing their own nascent uh, industry. And uh, to the extent that they want to have more flexibility, this might be an issue that they raise. Mm-hmm.
5: But having said that, I would just add, because it's important to add it, that their first preference is American. Uh, everybody else is, in the absence of what we sell, we are the default option for these folks.
2: Yeah.
4: Yeah, right.
3: very much let me, let me ask the, the uh, speakers one more question um, I mean it, it seems there's a bit of an exuberance about the Trump administration in the wake of some disappointment by the Gulf uh, leadership about the ability of the Obama administration to help them push back on Iran uh, is this a time to be thinking about how they might temper their exuberance for the new administration should we avoid euphoria um, how do you think we should focus uh how do you think we should handle this general uh, set of dynamics
5: uh, coming into the meeting next week and then going forward? You know, these are very sophisticated folks, <laughs> and I don't think euphoria is the right word. I think they're very pleased in the change of tone. Um, they want to build on it, um, but, you know, they're very wise to the ways of Washington, wiser than many other countries. And so I think they fully understand that uh, euphoria is probably a step too far. But they will try to get the president to uh, add meat to the bones of what he's been saying. Uh, And they'll do it in a way that is practicable, uh, in a way that they think that he can actually uh, come through. But euphoria, at least as I see it, is probably too strong a word.
4: And I think they're really going to be uh, pulsing him to to explore more fully uh, exactly what he has been saying, and then looking to see how they can make the connections. I think uh, what Dove mentioned, or I think I think it was Dove, uh, about the Palestinian issue, relations with uh, the Israelis, how that dovetails with the whole uh, concern about Iran. These are all um, uh, consensus circles that have a lot of overlap. And I think they will be pushing and prodding to see where they can get um, the U.S. to stand with them or to find mutually acceptable uh, ways forward uh, to tackle a number of these issues simultaneously.
3: Well, thanks very much to all of our uh, excellent speakers uh, Dr. Vickers, Ambassador Ziada, Dr. Zakheim, I think we'll conclude the call for now, but we'll look forward to hearing your thoughts as the, this visit develops and as the President takes his trip to the region later in the week. Thanks very much to all.
0: Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This concludes today's conference. You may now disconnect your lines, and have a great rest of your day.